Could you describe just for a moment, just briefly, why soil is such a big deal when it comes to the climate crisis and carbon drawdown? So let's start with the the latter here, climate crisis. Why soil is such a big deal is because we all depend on it. Literally, the foundation of life on land is soil. The soil has evolved for you know 500 million years of evolution to get to the point where we are now, and we're destroying it. Hey, podcast listener, welcome to the Eco D2C podcast, where we pick apart the strategies and growth journeys behind today's most successful mission-driven businesses. Even if you feel alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right here in your earbuds, you are joined by other entrepreneurs and leaders seeking to grow their businesses and impact on the world. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, check out ecod2c.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Eco DTC podcast. I'm your host, Luke Tierney. I am here with Finian Makepeace, the co-founder, chief strategy officer, and lead educator of Kiss the Ground. He's a renowned presenter, media creator, and thought leader in the field of regenerative agriculture and soil health. His dedication to Kiss the Ground's mission of awakening people to the possibilities of regeneration has motivated him to develop training programs, workshops, and talks designed to empower people around the world to become confident advocates for this growing movement. He is the producer of the Kiss the Ground movie on Netflix I highly recommend watching and is a key leader of the Regenerate America campaign. Finian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Really good to see you, Luke. Thanks for having me. Really, we're we're honored to have you here. Before we start diving into the Kiss the Ground story, I would love to hear about something about you that most people do not know. Yeah, I guess if you Google my name, you'll find some of the other things. But yeah, most people don't know that I was a three-time national Lindy Hop champion. Lindy Hop? Uh, swing dancing, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, National champion? Back in my teenage years, yeah. Oh, Wow dancer do you still dance uh here and there with my wife a little bit but not not as much swing it's lindy hop is a really fun fun dance it's very active and engaged like your 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 muscles and it's, it's just a really it's a really incredible art dance that i i had I, a lot of fun it's uh it's super fun i don't suppose any of those early competitions are on youtube probably some probably stuff. these days everything shows up on youtube so for those who are unfamiliar, can you tell us a little bit about Kiss the Ground? Sure. Kiss the Ground is a nonprofit organization. We started out in Venice, California, 10 years ago, and we were birthed really from our own awakening. Uh, our mission at Kiss the Ground is awakening people to the possibilities of regeneration. Uh, and that really comes back to soil. You know, what 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 is this amazing opportunity we're sitting on? Basically, Luke, we didn't know. And I always consider myself a very knowledgeable environmental activist, social activist, and you know, civil rights activist. But I had no idea about this when I was like 28, 29. When I learned about this, it was such a striking moment of like, if I didn't know, probably most people in the world don't know. And lo and behold, most people didn't know at that time. Al Gore, you name it, any of these environmentalists who, who we count on to know this stuff. We're not talking about aware of comprehending the, the the large capacity that rebuilding soil health, functioning ecosystems, regenerating our land has to fix the crises that we're facing. 
Everything else is basically a strategy to go off the cliff slower. Regenerative ag, building soil back, is what pulls uh, that car back from going off the cliff. So that was it for me. It was too big of an aha moment. Four-hour lecture from a gentleman named Graham Say, the other co-founder, Ryland, found him and heard him in New Zealand, convinced him to stop in LA on his way to San Francisco. And it was just mind blowing. And and we literally, we went home that night and we were like, if this is all true, we have to dedicate ourselves to getting the word out about this. We weren't the scientists, we weren't the farmers, we weren't the ranchers, we weren't the indigenous knowledge holders, but we were the type of people who can champion things. And so we stuck ourselves in and said, we don't know what we're going to be. We don't know. We didn't know we were going to be kissed the ground at that point. We just knew that if we dedicated to helping uh, it would show up. And sure enough, it did. And that's the beginning. That's where Kiss the Ground started from. And, and it really still is entrenched in who we are as we're champions for this movement. And we're here to help bring this about, to shift the consciousness, bring this awareness to to billions of people across the world. Could you describe just for a moment, just briefly, why soil is such a big deal when it comes to the climate crisis and carbon drawdown? So let's start with the, the latter here, climate crisis. Why soil is such a big deal is because we all depend on it. Literally, the foundation of life on land is soil. The soil has evolved for you know 500 million years of evolution to get to the point where we are now, and we're destroying it. But soil is what plants count on as a, as a medium to grow, but this is where plants access their minerals and nutrients and water. So when we look at land and we look at life on land, soil is absolutely essential. What a lot of people don't know is how much soil is responsible for water. People think, oh, water, where does it come from? Lakes, rivers? Well, clean water and the water cycle is so connected to soil. So a great analogy I want people to think about is you can do this at home. Take two plates, put a cup of flour on one plate, put two slices of bread on the other plate. Take a paper cup and poke some holes in it. Pour some water through the paper cup. Have that land on the flour. The flour represents degraded, dispersed state, tilled, unprotected soil. That's the state of a lot of our soils around the world. What happens when the water falls on it, it erodes off. It takes the water with it. It takes the soil with it. And the rate of soil loss in the United States on our farmland right now is 5.6 tons of topsoil per acre per year. So you can watch that. You can even see it in your head right now. Yeah. When the water drips on the flower, it just runs off. When the water falls on the bread, it absorbs very quickly. And after a little while, Luke, it starts to come out the bottom of the bread clear. What does that clear water coming out the bottom of the bread represent? It represents springs popping back up, fresh water. It represents refilling our aquifers. So the freshwater system is replenished by healthy soil. Now, plants having access to that water. Here's the bigger kicker. So take your finger, stick it into the wet sponge-like bread, and you say, yeah, my roots of my plant have plenty of water to access. Now take your finger and scrape off the top of that wet flower. Right underneath the surface, it's bone dry. So you're that plant. You act your finger, poke your finger into the flower. It's bone dry down there. You don't have any access to water, and therefore you're not resilient to drought, and you caused flooding when the rainstorm happened. It flooded and took all the soil with it. So healthy functioning soil for life on land, for, for the water that's essential for all life on land is such a big, big part. Now, the number two part of this, carbon. How do we build healthy soil so it functions? That bread uh, analogy, how do we make it so soil works again? We need carbon. How does that carbon come and build the soil back? Plants. This is what we didn't know. So we used to think that soil was built by things just 
decomposing at the surface and mixing with the topsoil. That's a little bit how soil is made. But the good stuff, the soil that we really are talking about, why this is such a big deal right now, is plants photosynthesize. They take carbon from the atmosphere, they suck it in, and then they combine it with hydrogen and oxygen from H2O, water, and they make liquid carbohydrates, liquid sugar water, okay? They have liquid sugar water. They pump it out of their roots. 30 to 40% of this, they leak into the soil to feed microbes. Those microbes consume it. They're then made of carbon and they make glues that are also made of carbon. And these glues glue the soil particles together. So this is carbon being pumped into the ground. We did not know 30 to 40% of plant sugars were being leached into the ground to feed microbes who were building soil. But that's the big aha moment. Plants pump it in, the soil microorganisms store it. And that's how we're building healthy, functioning, aggregated, beautiful soil. And that's the carbon pump, Luke. That's the big deal of like, oh, how do we solve the climate crisis? Help plants pump carbon into the ground. Make sure more ground is covered with living plants, pumping exudates, root exudates, it's called, into the ground to feed microbes. That's it. That's the big carbon pump that's been missing in the equation of how are we going to solve climate change. It's not just the tree itself or the plant itself made of carbon. It's how much they're building the soil because that creates a regenerative feedback loop. The more your soil's healthy with carbon in it, the more biology is there, the more the plant can access nutrients, the more the plant can access water because more water is stored and retained there. What does that mean? More photosynthesis, more plant capacity, more plants shooting up. That means more carbon being pumped into the ground. That's a regenerative feedback loop that we as humans can help do. That was a lot. I don't think that was a short answer to that question, but no, that was, that was, that was perfect because regenerative ag touches on so many different things. I think it can be tough to sum up, but as somebody who got into marketing in the first place, I didn't necessarily see a lack of innovation, but I saw a lack of scale and application of, of innovations. That's, that was a big inspiration for me to get into the field that I'm in. Talking with individuals like yourself who have really done a great job of educating the public on what this is and why it's such a big deal uh, and working on you know scaling realistic applications of this is, is just enormously exciting. I'd love to ask some questions about that early growth. Talk a little bit about how you and your partners got together, realized the importance of what this is and why it deserves to have the place in the climate movement. What do you then do? A lot of us are ideologically minded that really want to make sure our work impacts, that we're doing good things. A lot of people have ideals. It's a lot harder to make the rubber meet the road. So what do you do then to, to really give it some momentum? That's a great question. Um, we had a particularly interesting starting point and we got inspired, as I mentioned, with the inspiration story, but the mechanics of it were pretty simple. So I had a lot of like organization background. The other co-founder, Rylan, was definitely more of like the the bring people in, invite people. We were in his living room to start off. My activism work goes back until, you know, 15 years old, you know, sitting around getting a group of people to focus on something and say, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to do? I had background in that. So this is what we dedicated to Luke. It was like every Monday, no matter who it is, we're going to meet and figure out what we're going to do. And one of the first things I started germinating was the fact that there was no awareness tools out there. So we said, okay, there's a couple scientists some farmers out there on YouTube or whatever, hour long, two hour long presentations, nobody's going to watch those things. So something that's necessary to help this move forward is what's the tool, the four or five minute piece of media that communicates this in an entertaining enough way 
that becomes a tool for people to be like, this is what I'm talking about. And so we knew we had to make that tool. We hoped it would go viral, but more importantly, we, we knew we had to make a tool for the movement to be able to share this message. And we said, well, we can do that. We can get all the information from the experts, bring it together. So that was one of the first things was, okay, story tell this, help in that way. And in terms of what's next, we didn't really know. We knew also we had to start acting. So we, we started a local garden where people could meet and see and where we could talk to people. But marketing wise, I think one thing that we did, if I look back on it, was we were always setting up to be able to have this conversation. And if you think about how much of our lives are spent not engaging in what we're up to uh, in the world, sharing with people what we're up to or not creating the conditions to share what we're up to, that otherwise would feel like you're shoving something down someone's throat. A lot of this was how do I create these conditions? So am I creating events and having people be able to come to places, experience it, and then letting go of the expectation that every person you touch is going to be turned on as much as you are about this, being okay with, with who slips through, but saying every, every day, we're 100% committed. There were a bunch of people coming who were interested and being like, why aren't you doing this? Maybe we should do it this way. It was really important to look around the room and say, who's who's 150% in this type of work? Because you can get a lot of commotion, a lot of ideas, a lot of emotion involved in the early days of something like this. But you look around and you have people who are fully invested. And those are the people you want to start working with. On top of that, to help out any earlier early entrepreneurs or people, you can have people who are dedicated, who are also stuck in their own past paradigms and not willing to break through and say, well, if our goal is to go big, how are we going to do that? So we definitely had to, to filter through some of the people who are 150% dedicated, but they were very much stuck in like, this is how I would do it. This is how it should be done. And we had to be able to sift through that. That was kind of all over the place. I think the, the key things are making sure you can have a voice in multiple places ongoingly, creating the conditions for that, looking around who's who's in the room who's actually 100% into this and not just in it for the socializing or in it for the business opportunity to get rich quick type of thing or and then being able to let go of people who are stuck in in kind of old old-fashioned paradigms or their own version of how this has to go what are some of the early big inflection points are there any particular that come to mind that you think back and you go like oh like that's when we started to catch some traction that moved us to another level the soil story we made this piece of media called the soil story which is capturing what i talked about before which is a short articulation of what this is about we got insight from leaders in the movement. So it was kind of peer reviewed and, and you know, had an essence of carrying the weight of the movement. And we were about to launch it. And I was working in policy stuff a bit then. And the state of California was launching their Healthy Soils Initiative and trying to get buy-in from the Congress, uh, the state Congress, to do it, uh, the Assembly and the Senate. And we said, what if we used our piece of media and got celebrities who we know living in LA, friends of ours like Jason Mraz and and others, what if we had them do an introduction to the piece of media to get signatures for this campaign to push the state of California for healthy soils? So we did all this within a month, shot a couple intros, and I think like six celebrity intros and put it out to their audiences. And lo and behold, we didn't get that many, but we got 23,000 signatures for the Healthy Soil Initiative in California. And this type of stuff, policy around agriculture, getting 23,000 signatures and celebrity uh, attention was really unheard of in up in Sacramento, in the capital of, of California. And that got us some, definitely some big attention of like, oh, okay, 
this is happening and these these folks are serious and they're they're contributing here and it really helped bring up the energy uh, behind that whole initiative. And then following on that, that year we went to COP21. Uh, that was seven years ago. COP27 in Egypt just happened. COP21 was a really big inflection point because it was where a lot of the leaders in this space, early leaders in this space, first convened and met each other and got to kind of recognize each other and see each other who was in the room there. Uh, and that was a big inflection point. So COP21, early days and the launch of the soil story. And then probably... <laughs> I guess it was a couple of years into our org, but convincing Josh and Rebecca to make Kiss the Ground the film was probably a critical inflection point that took seven years to finish. But getting them convinced to make a story about dirt uh, took a little bit of digging deep with them because they didn't really get why would they make a movie about dirt. Uh, can you uh, flesh out just a little bit more? Who are these individuals and, and how you come uh, across them? Like what, what, what was the strategy sort of behind it? Yeah, so Josh and Rebecca Tickell are amazing documentary filmmakers from The Big Fix and Fuel and a few other films that are really incredible. They happen to be the previous tenants of Ryland's house. Ryland's the other co-founder of Kiss the Ground. Him and I lived in Venice at this time. They were the previous tenants. He kind of got to know that they were filmmakers. He said, hey guys, what if you make a film about dirt? They were like, uh, okay, uh, nope, don't think so. But then their friend, John Rulak, who became a friend of ours, also was telling him, you got to make a film about soil, you know, because he was an early pioneer in this as well. Uh, and then we started, kept talking to them. And then like, they would come back to the house for some reason or another. And we were working in the garage at that time. And I remember one day they came by and Josh was talking to Ryland in the parking lot. And Rebecca came into the office and I had this huge whiteboard in there. And I was just like, look, can I just explain this to you? And I started explaining to her the big aha of like how much carbon is being pumped into the ground from plants. Like I just did to you guys, but I did it on a whiteboard and her face was like, oh, my God. She had the moment of like, oh, this is why you guys are so fanatical about this. And, you know, before it was just like, OK, yeah, so but she had a moment, an aha moment there. Uh, and I think that was one of those light bulbs of like, OK, let's really go big into this. They were they were pretty excited anyway over the course of a lot of convincing. But, yeah, that was a pivotal moment. And we worked on that film with them for seven years and finally got it on Netflix, which it was a it was a trip. Took a while. Within that seven-year period, what else was sort of the focus or in the works? Because that's that's a, that's a decent amount of time. I know it's not, you know, one day there's a piece of media that we're making sure to get to the right people for legislation in Sacramento. Then all of a sudden, like Woody Harrelson's doing the narration, right? Like I know there must be a, a, a journey there, but in addition yeah, to, yeah. did the movie become the big focus or like what, what else was the happening? Movie. It was very simultaneous. Um, the The movie was kind of a chunk by chunk because we didn't get it all funded right off the bat. So it was it was on pause a lot of times over the seven years for funding reasons. And but they were kind of joined at the hip where it was like the movie was going forward, but the constant was kiss the ground the organization. We were out there being pioneers in how are we going to share this message. So we had a, a media program that was constantly churning out other short form media, constantly making presentations, slides and, and going out there doing the, the networking. So for folks out there, it's like the success of Kiss the Ground, the movie, is it the movie itself being on Netflix, but the trust of the movement, the intricacies of the grassroots of the people who knew who we were and what we were up to and what we were about and how much we did our due diligence to follow the people who are the experts and the leaders and the elders in this space. 
I think is a lot of the reason this, the film really holds so much weight in this movement is because if the movie just came out by itself, Luke, I think there would have been a lot of people like, oh, why wasn't I asked about this? We've been leading this space for 30 years, right? We did a lot of that homework, not just of the filmmaking itself, but showing up and being a part of this movement. So we had a, a media group. We had a farmland program helping farmers get access to training to this work, scholarships for, for high-level training from some of the stars of Kiss the Ground, the movie. So over these years before the film launched, we were helping farmers to actually start doing regenerative agriculture as a mouthpiece for this movement, as well as a kind of a funnel. We've always been out there allowing people to enter in. And then our work with education, you know, we've been helping advocates be trained. So you know how Al Gore has his climate reality project, right? We have soil advocate training that we made similar to his training. And, and we started uh, live versions of it. And now we've come to the point where we have a masterclass that people can take a nine, a nine week module. But we basically said, if this movement's going to scale, we need to be able to have people who are all about it, get to the front and be able to do what I do and others do out there well, quickly. So scaling the movement means thousands, if not more, really, really great advocates. So over the course of the last four years, five years now, we've trained uh, about 5,000 advocates from 30 different countries through a nine-week program that really allows them to be confident. And one advocate I was just texting with this morning, she's helped raise for the government of Canada, which again, money is different in Canada compared to the US, but $1.75 billion for regenerative ag transition in Canada. An advocate who came out of our course was like, okay, I'm going to help Canada do this. So the countless examples around the world, uh, this other guy just was on the end of our call, just saying like in, in England, he just got with, I think, uh, millions of acres of a watershed project that that just hired his group to regenerate all the land and convince all the farmers to do cover crops and everything like that. But the point being is that we were en engines behind this movement of trying to make this movement bigger, more robust. People from large companies getting trained, doing workshops with big groups to get their head around this, to really bring them forward. And a lot of things that we were doing behind the scenes, Luke, was super important for folks out there to remember that being of service is such a big part of success, I think. A lot of what people don't know of our work is that we've brought a lot of people into this movement just to bring them in. They might have big businesses that are thriving now and kicking butt. Like the intro, the being a, a welcomer to the movement has been a big part of our work behind the scenes that not a lot of people are aware of or know about, but a big part of our work over the last 10 years. Education, media, farmland, and then more recently, policy. Uh, we've been doing work and that goes to the local level in Los Angeles, state of California, and now federally with the Farm Bill. 10 years of our work has been all out for 10 years. Uh, the film coming two years ago was this big availability for the world. But I think it's important to remember that if it had just been the film, I don't think it would have set sail the way it did. When and how does funding come into the equation? Always. <laughs> we we need funding. We're in a big funding push right now because we're we're doing this audacious campaign for the farm bill and it takes uh, resources and it takes time. And you're up against very, 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 very well-funded advocacy groups that are arguably going up against you in certain ways. So you have to be funded to get the right personnel in place. Uh, but funding is really important. I'm really thankful for Ryland. He, he happens to have a knack at at asking, and I've gotten better over the years. But for those people out there who have their own skills, and you need to build a team uh, who have different types of skills, but you need your engines, you need your inspiration, but you need people who can also fundraise. And that is a big part of this, this equation. As I mentioned before, there were stallouts for Kiss the Ground, the movie. We did not know if that film was going to be made. 
but it was because of big asks of if this is going to happen, we need this funding. And that was Luke, even before we knew the film was going to be as good as it turned out to be. So people were seeing cuts of that film when it wasn't in its best state and still being convinced to, to put up the money to fund this. And then the organization itself, people have believed in what we're doing and seen the impact over the years. And so we have a track record now and there's belief that our commitment to this, the the drive we have within ourselves to do this is real. And people saw that too in the beginning. Once they got the aha, they were like, well, if I'm not doing this, thank goodness these folks are because they believe in us as drivers and unstoppable. Stop me if the question is prying, but I'm super curious. Was there in the beginning a, a proof of concept that you had to have in order to get funding? Did you guys manage to get some funding out of the gate? How much of it was, say, public versus like public grants versus private raising? A lot of it was private raising individuals who who had the aha moment, like I said, and were like, now that I get it, I'm still going to be doing my job, but I'm really glad you guys are doing it because I see the need for this. And the proof of concept um, oftentimes would be in the what we're working on type of initiatives and sharing those with people. Making a film was definitely one of the easier things to raise funds for. A lot of people in our network saw that as a viable place to put funding versus policy, say, is a harder ask to get people to fundraise behind policy work, you know, arguably which one's going to make more technical change, you know, sharing our wins, people seeing that, you know, we were making impact out of our, um, what would you say, shoot, you know, punching above our weight always and proving that that dedication pays off. But individuals seeing that I think was probably the and, you know, companies, organizations that that funded us, some foundations or some family fund foundations that are from companies, even some early funders who really saw and knew us and what we were up to going to do for this movement. The belief in us basically was really, really important. What was the moment in which you felt like Kiss the Ground as a nonprofit really had legs? What was the we're out of the garage moment? I think probably a lot of people could relate to this. I don't know if you ever lose that. I think a lot of people perceive that or think that. But I think as anyone who's done a startup, it's really hard to take your brain out of that. And that's why we just hired a new CEO, for example, because you have to start getting out of your own way and you have to start focusing more on what you're the most capable of, the most able to do versus pretending that you somehow have skills that you haven't acquired from nowhere. When sometimes the startup mode is the biggest hurdle to get out of because you're you're still seeing and living inside of we started in a garage with no money. I took myself off the road as a touring musician. We didn't have money to pay me in the beginning like there was deep volunteer go for it build this it will come type of attitude and and you have to kind of adjust it seems to be that that's coming around now but to be quite honest it's always for the last 10 years it has in a lot of ways uh, felt like startup mode the film you would expect like oh that was the big break but how much expectation there was on us to do so big coming out of the film to, to even step up bigger. You feel like you're in another startup position. I don't think it's easy to do and we're working on, on that, but uh, we're definitely way further than we were years ago. Uh, way more employees, but it, it's hard to get out of startup mode in your head, I think. What is a pitfall other organizations have run into that you feel that you have avoided? We definitely don't play small. I would say that of believing in the bigness of this conversation. You know, for me, like a couple of years ago, I was like, by 2025, I believe that soil health and regenerative agriculture is going to overtake all of the other climate solutions and be in the top three or two, or maybe one. I believe that. And I know, and I can see that and I can project 
the aha moment uh, exponential curve of people around the world. I feel like some people who see this be like, oh, great, this is cool. I'm going to do this here or there. But they don't necessarily believe in themselves as a catalyst for something this ginormous on the world stage. We, we haven't failed with our optimism of believing that the world itself, the entire human population can catch on to this. What is a pitfall that you fell straight into along the way? There's a bunch, I think, but uh, something that comes to mind is the, in the beginning was not getting the help that we needed when we needed it and letting things take more time than they needed to, because we didn't ask for the correct support. And even some of those early budgets, you know, essentially cutting yourself into a position to do it, you had to have a Herculean effort. And so the pitfall, you know, if I was to go back and be like, we would never have done some of the things that we tried to do with zero money because it made it really hard and didn't need to be that hard. So the pitfall of do it with nothing was probably the the worst that I would I would say we came we came into many times. Oh yeah, we could do that for five hundred dollars or two thousand dollars. And it's like no, no way you can't. You can't uh, you can't live and do that correctly. So this, the pitfall of coming at from the place of a touring musician who is you know self managed self agent that work is so hard. It's a hardcore industry to make it to make a living at all, and you're used to such meagerness to make it work. That I think that was the biggest pitfall. What are the current biggest channels? for growth, both from an impact perspective and a funding perspective? Mm. These are the questions we're, we're really tackling ourselves. I don't think we I have a, a complete answer for you on that. We are we are definitely reassessing that at the moment, honestly. That's, that's where we're at is, are we looking at those two things as deep as we need to? And have we missed things that are obvious? Or do we have personnel who aren't focused on that or someone who could? So these are some of the things when you have to take a hard look. We have a great new CEO who's really helping us take a look at those things at the moment. If I were to tweak the question and ask what have been the most recent core channels of growth on either one of those avenues in terms of impact, in terms of we see this particular channel as the main vehicle for, for growing our presence, for growing our impact, for hitting whatever internal metrics you guys have set. And also like what places of, I'm making some assumptions here on how critical funding is at every stage, right? So which sources of, of funding have been the most important of late? And also what channels have been the most important to growing your, your message and your, and your impact? Um, so funding wise, you know, focusing on events where people can understand what we're up to. I mean, the success we've had just in the last year for this campaign, Regenerate America, is quite awesome and, and substantial, to, in my opinion, right? To start from an organization that isn't necessarily deeply involved in the policy front, to show people that success, we just had a hearing in September, which was the first hearing on regenerative agriculture hosted by the House Ag Committee. So people seeing that and seeing that impact at that level has definitely been a, a place where people feel inclined to, to keep supporting and giving. Uh, so events, but foundations also, when you can have a communication with foundations one-on-one -on -one with their groups to get them connected to this, that's been a huge place where we've seen access points of people being leveraged to say, yeah, this this is the water crisis solved. This is the climate crisis solved. This is the human hunger and health side. This is the biodiversity. People 
grasping that a lot of their foundation's goals do connect to soil health and agriculture. That's been a big point of leverage. So the impact, we're, we're looking very much into a few of our other, our other programs. We're really looking right now at a new metric of analysis shows us that about 3% of the U.S. population is aware of this and what we're seeing uh, at the growth rate and speed of, of the adoption, this transpiring to, to everyone in society because of that. We're basically saying we can be a very competent component to move this from 3% to 10%. And that's looking at that goal of awareness and people saying, okay, that impact metric really makes sense with what we've seen at 3%. And then with the farm bill, that's why we're focused with Regenerate America there. If that moves and what we've analyzed there is about 1% of the 856 billion dollars is actually helping farmers and ranchers to rebuild their soil. What if the prioritization of that funding was shifted such that three to five percent was actually helping farmers and ranchers rebuild their soil? Uh, those calculations are quite exciting. And so seeing that and, and seeing the the farm bill being able to be adjusted to have that be achieved is is a really big action point that we're still still going towards and seeing seeing success in. And then the the advocacy training, like getting people educated, more deeply educated. The difference of watching the Kiss the Ground film and being inspired versus going through a nine-week training program to come out the other side as a competent, articulate, passionate, uh, inspired advocate is very different in terms of what you're going to contribute. Again, probably 10 or 15% of those people actually do monumental contribution, but every single one of them will be doing some form of contribution far more than they would have just uh, on their own and believe in themselves to do that. So some of those things are, are critical action points that inspire us every day. It's something really interesting that we see on the marketing side ourselves. You know, we're constantly as a marketing agency that's helping brands grow their sales. We're doing analyses all, all the time. And, you know, we worked with and continue to work with brands that really emphasize regenerative. I have yet to see a niche, a space in which we're really seeing regenerative as a search term from consumers in terms of SEO, in terms of like the different, uh, you know, we'll do these analyses for, you know, a brand is launching X product. Like what do consumers want? What are they searching for? And then it's our job to properly prioritize those things. For me personally, it's been enormously exciting to see the the energy surrounding this coming from within the industry, despite the fact that most consumers, only 3%, like most of them don't know what this is yet. And to see a lot of people really rally behind, you know, making this a core of their brand, even before the tipping point has been hit, is something that's been really, really cool for me to witness because yeah. where I sit in my industry, it's all responding, not all, but in large part, like responding to product market fit, demand for different things. And as service providers that like to work with mission-driven companies, we have to prioritize. Depending on where you are, your customers might not really care that much that you're eco-friendly. Like that's a plus. I've yet to see that, you know, ever be like a negative, but we have to help brands, you know, really dial in their messaging and what they're emphasizing and what they're not in these different online marketplaces. Because at the end of the day, like if they're doing impact, especially like my job is to help them grow, period. And I'm going to give them the recommendations that are going to help best achieve that. Critically, I think that, you know, I want to focus on that, the word yet. I do think it's coming. It echoes other, uh, it's not exactly apples to apples, but there was a point in time which no one knew what non-GMO was. And you had first movers in that space emphasizing it when nobody knew about it. And well, here we are with that. To me, it's it's exciting. It's definitely exciting. And I, I think it's partly due to the, the nature of this movement is folks understanding that they have to play a role in, in crafting this. This isn't, people say, yes, consumer demand is what drives a lot of things at the end of the day. Uh, but a lot of companies, I think, have stepped up to recognize that 
their supply chains, their goals that come back to root generative ag, like they're going to have to be architects in making this a reality too. And that's why we have a Regenerate America campaign with a huge amount of brands. Uh, We have 105 organizations, farm groups, and brands, but a big contingent of that is brands who are seeing like, we need policy change so that we're not having to do this all by ourselves. So the signals to farmers to start doing this and, and what you're talking about, the yet point is coming. People know it's coming. And where's that source going to come from, Luke? We're going to have to be, what, even more grass-fed beef from New Zealand and Australia? Like, really? How are we going to change that? And how is the United States as a potential for regenerative supply actually going to be valid? It can't just be on the backs of the companies because they're already saying this is hard. We're already in a pickle. And so if we look at how much is supporting the other side, let's say the degenerative conventional side, that's what is the easiest to access for companies. If we don't change how much is for regenerative, those companies are going to have to lift all on their own. And that is a heavy lift. So that's why we're working on policy is because we see the yet exactly how you do. It's coming. It's what's in the in the shadows right now. It's going to be coming out. People are going to start asking about it. But along the way, you know, people are leading with this conversation saying that you care about this, you care about that, you care about this. That's why we're going regenerative because we do too. And regenerative is is the thing that as a conscious consumer or someone who cares about biodiversity, their children's future, whatever it is, that's why our company is dedicating to regenerative. And we actually coach companies to look at their 2030 goals, their mission, their existing uh, infrastructure, all these things. Like, how are you guys going to market regenerative? We do workshops for that, for making sure they're not greenwashing while simultaneously making sure they're having a really, really comprehensive plan that their marketing people understand why regenerative matters. It's not just like, okay, I guess we're talking about regenerative ag. So we do a lot of that to help these brands get a little bit more comfortable with how they're going to express this over the coming years and, and ways to navigate for their consumer base. For listeners who are excited about a lot of what we're talking about, what are some resources they can look to to get involved? Definitely go to kisstheground.com. I really encourage folks who are interested in this space. Again, it is my course, but Soil Advocate Training is a place where you can take on your own, at your own time, uh, you can get more acquainted to this movement, have an amount of resources that on your own trying to collect would be extremely cost prohibitive, I mean, time prohibitive. So that course is well worth any of your time to get more acclimated to this movement at large. Uh, Watch Kiss the Ground, the movie, of course, uh, is such an easy place to get started. Start checking out on LinkedIn who's about this and seeing in your in your network who's there and then start building your network more around the regenerative space. Yeah, regenerateamerica.com if you want to sign up for that. Of course, that's a huge part of how people can contribute right now uh, and support Kiss the Ground. We are in, in a big fundraising push, so support is always crucial. And where can our listeners find more of Finian? I talk a lot in Soil Advocate Training. In the Soil Advocate Training course, it's me lecturing about a bunch of really cool topics. So you can hear a lot from me there. Uh, do you mean like other podcasts or other? Other. Sure. Well, where can our listeners find you? Like social? Yeah, you know? I'm, uh, I would say Kiss the Ground is the best social to follow a lot of my stuff. My other accounts are a bit more personal and, and family, and I'm not doing as much of that there. I do most of my work through Kiss the Ground. Well, Finian, it's been a real pleasure having you here. I am super excited for this episode to come out and just thank you for your time. And uh, thank you personally for all the work that you're doing. Yeah, likewise. And folks out there, if you're wondering what what looks like the yet factor here is this is coming. There's no question about it. This is the next big thing. Get involved now because otherwise three years from now, you'll be kicking yourself in the butt for not getting involved sooner. So thank you, Luke, for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. 
Hey, podcast listener. That's it for us this week. As always, it's a pleasure having you here. If you want to check out more episodes and learn more about us, visit ecodc.com. See you next time.